The following is a podcast from FLVS Full-Time Middle School. Hi, my name is Evan. Hi, my name is Jacob. Hi, I'm Alton. Hi, my name is Damien. Hi, my name is Kayla. Welcome to the Research Class Podcast. Which we call, Finny, You Should Ask. The topic for this podcast is bats. Now I would like to introduce biologist Dr. Mark Cates from LaGrange College in Georgia. I've been working with bats for 17 years now. So uh, anytime I get to talk about bats, it's a good day. Hi, my name is Molly or Bats Burks. So bats are not birds. Bats are more closely related to us. We're mammals and bats are mammals as well. Bats are actually the only mammals that are able to fly. You may have heard of flying squirrels, but flying squirrels only glide. They don't really fly. And by flying, I mean they can actually gain elevation. They can flap their wings and they can fly up. They can fly down. They can control which direction they're going. Uh, Flying squirrels, they just have a big parachute and they're jumping from high up and they're constantly falling. They're just able to control where they're falling to. So we really don't consider that flying as much as gliding. Uh, but bats are the only mammals that can fly. Hi, this is Harrison, and I was wondering how do bats fly, and do they fly in formation? Now, as far as how they fly, um, bats use their arms to fly. So if you hold your arm up and spread your fingers out, that is essentially exactly what a bat wing looks like. So if you look at that wing there, on there, you can see the same bones that are in your hand are in this bat's wing. So they use those arms and it's just they have skin growing between each of those fingers and between their pinky finger and their ankle. Um, and they use that as the wing that's the same way a bird would use a wing. And they're able to flap their wings really, really hard and fast and to be able to maintain that flight and control themselves where they're flying really, really well. Um, They're extremely good flyers. Um, That coupled with their ability to echolocate makes them really, really good at making it around just about anywhere they want to go in pitch black. Uh, A lot of them will even fly around between branches and forests and things like that, and they can weave in and out of places that you wouldn't imagine they'd be able to weave in and out of. Um, So they're very, very good at flying. They tend not really to fly in formation. Oftentimes you'll see big groups of them come out of caves together and they will fly clustered together briefly. Um, But that's mainly because of the fact that the opening of the cave is pretty narrow. So they all have to fly through a a certain area. Um, Bats have really good memories and kind of have an idea when they're coming out of the cave, which direction and where they want to fly to, to be able to find food. Um, So oftentimes they're all trying to get to a common location. So they will fly in a real similar direction, Um, but they're not really doing the same thing as birds where they're looking and seeing who's next to me and what they're doing. The other thing is when they're flying around a lot of other bats, the way they're able to figure out where they are is called echolocation. And they're using that sound that they're emitting to know where they are. Everybody around them is also making sound. It's really, really confusing 
to be able to determine whether it was your sound or whether it was your neighbor's sound. So a lot of times they want to spread out um, a little bit, or if they are flying a lot together, they don't echolocate quite as much, um, which makes it hard for them to find food. Uh, so they really don't form flocks. They may be a lot of bats in the same location, um, but that's usually just because there's a lot of insects there. So I wouldn't really think of it as flying in a formation. Hi, my name is Anthony. What is bat sonar? Okay, so most bats um, come out at night, and that's when they're usually flying around and foraging, particularly those that eat insects. And one reason for that is because of the fact that they don't have to compete with other things that eat insects during the daytime. So birds and other things that are eating insects don't come out not out at night, so there's more food for them available to eat at night. But the problem is, just with you, if you run around at night, it's hard to see things because there's not much light. So they have to have another way to be able to find out where they are and where those insects are aside from their eyes. And they use something called echolocation. And what this is, is they're using their vocal sounds, they're making sounds through their mouth and letting that sound bounce off of something. And as the echo comes back, they're able to hear it with their ears. And based on changes in that sound, how long it takes something, the echo to come back, they can determine how far away something is, how big it is, which direction it's moving, whether it's moving towards them, away from them, and all sorts of things. So when they're echolocating, they're emitting these sounds and they're bouncing off those other branches, trees, rocks, owls to avoid, or insects and things they're looking to, to find, or even other bats. So it allows them to really, really be able to see what's, or hear what's around them. Um, it's similar to sonar or radar that we think of with regards to the military, um, but it's extremely uh, sensitive. So a bat can detect something the width of a human hair in pitch black from about five meters away or about 15 feet. How are bats connected to COVID-19? But there is a group of bats or a family of bats that are called horseshoe bats. Um, and they are found in, in Asia, um, and one species is found in southern China, and it acts as what we call a reservoir for um, a lot of viruses that are similar to COVID-19, the virus that causes COVID-19. Now, the term reservoir is a weird term to use for a virus, but what that means is this is an animal that the virus can live, and it doesn't really bother the animal. So the animal tends to have that virus and it doesn't really affect the animal. Um, the problem gets to be is if that virus is able to move from that animal to an organism like ourselves that doesn't normally encounter that virus. And the way this happens is when we start to interact with animals that we don't normally interact with. And bats are one of those types of animals. So it jumped from bats to another animal from that animal to humans. Um, and that's how the pandemic started, or had, that's how the virus first got into humans. It's not normally found in humans, and that's why it has such a big impact on us. 
Um, and most viruses that we get, including the flu, they all have these reservoir animals that they're normally found in. Um, so it was that initial interaction. Once it got into humans and something happened to that virus allowing it to spread from human to human, that's when the pandemic started. So we do know that this virus came from this one group of bats because researchers had been looking at this species of bat for a good long time because of other viruses that have been associated with this bat, namely SARS, which was a, um, another virus that outbreak that happened quite a few years ago. It stands for se severe acute respiratory syndrome. Um, it's not, it was not nearly as uh, infectious as COVID-19 is. Um, it could be passed from human to human, but not real easily. Took a lot more, so not nearly as many people got sick from this. But they had done a lot of work looking at that virus and seeing where it, where its reservoir was, or where it usually was found, and they found it in um, this species of bat, horseshoe bats. Uh, just like animals, just like everything else, all these little things they tend to be kind of related to other things. Um, and COVID-19 is very closely related to the virus that caused SARS. And so immediately they thought, well, this is a real similar virus and it has a lot of similar characteristics. They wondered if it was also found in the same group of bats. And so they took blood samples and saliva samples and even we call it guano samples. Uh, and, and looked, at, looked for viruses in those, and they did find some uh, viruses that were 95% similar to coronavirus or COVID-19 virus. So they're pretty sure that it came from these bats. They do not think it came from people eating bats uh, because of the fact that it's not 100%. That's one of the reasons they think it went to another animal first and then it jumped from that animal to, to humans. Um, there's a lot of characteristics of viruses that they can look at to say, okay, what, you know, where did this come from? Um, that's also how they know that it was not a man-made virus, that it actually did come from a animal, that it was a naturally occurring virus um, because of the fact that there aren't the markers that you would see that, hey, this was made by human beings. So it was not a manufactured virus. It is a natural virus that occurs in these bats um, that somehow, because oftentimes because we're taking up more habitat, we're expanding our cities into areas where we don't normally live and we're encountering more and more of these wild species. Um, we're getting exposed to more and more different types of viruses and parasites and things like that. Um, so it's something we, we need to continue to be concerned with, uh, but not, not afraid of, but just be aware of that these are, this is where this is, this is why this is happening, where this is coming from. Who is Batman's nemesis? So you're curious as to what, who is the nemesis of Batman? Well, I mean, I think we all kind of know by what we read in comic books and seen in the movies that really, you know, if we're talking about the movie, the comic book hero, Batman, it's the Joker. That's obvious. But 
myself as a person that worked with bats, if we really want to think of in North America what the nemesis of bats are, it's actually a fungus. It's a fungus called Pseudogymnoascus destructing. It is a small little fungus. It's like a mole that grows in caves and it infects the bats and grows like a mold on the bat's skin. What it tends to do is make it so the bats can't hibernate. They can't sleep over the winter. And this means that they can't, uh, they uh, run out of energy before summertime comes or springtime comes and they end up starving to death because of it. Um, to date, about s over 6 million bats have died since 2006. Uh, particularly here on the East Coast. Um, so once this fungus gets into a cave, um, the cave is infected for right now, forever. Um, until we can figure a way to get rid of the fungus out of the cave, that cave now will infect any bat roosts inside of it. Once a cave is infected, between 90 and 100% of the bats will become infected, and most of those will die because of the infection. And it is spread from cave to cave predominantly by bats. So a bat will sleep in one cave, get infected, and then fly to another cave and bring the fungus with them and spread it to that other cave. And it was brought over from Europe, unfortunately, and deposited in one cave in upstate New York back in 2006. From that one cave, it is spread all the way down here to Georgia, all the way out to Washington State, to California, to Texas, and infecting all these caves all over the country. Um, and it is definitely the number one nemesis of bats right now. It is our number one concern that we have. We're trying to figure it out. Um, there's a group here in Georgia, and there's a group in Illinois, and a group in Missouri, uh, in several different places um, that are working on methods to do this. Um, one's using a bacteria that releases a gas that inhibits the fungus. And the bacteria is originally used by companies that transport fruit to inhibit mold growth on fruit while they're transporting it. This gas it releases. And they were like, you know, well, if it works on fungus on fruit, would it work on this? And they tried it and it does a pretty good job. And the nice thing is, since it's the gas and not the actual bacteria, they grow the bacteria between two sheets of plastic that are permeable to the gas. So the bacteria never enters the environment. The gas leaches out, flows around in the, the air. And it doesn't kill the, back, the, the fungus, but it limits how fast it'll grow. So the idea is that it will inhibit its growth on the bats. So it's not really getting rid of it from the cave as much as inhibiting it from growing on the bats. So we're, while we're using that to some extent, there's some chemicals that have been uh, tested that are they're looking at. There's all sorts of stuff that's going on that they're trying to look at. But right now, we don't have a good solution. Um, and it's not like we can go inoculate all the bats. It's really hard to catch bad. <laughs>
The people who put together today's show include... Aiden, Austin, Alyssa, Maya, Anthony, Ashton, Aurelia, Brendan, Colin, Dante, Damien, Elijah, Erica, Eric, Evan, Harrison, Jacob, James, Jamie, Joseph, Juliana, Caleb, Levi, Mally, Samuel, Sydney, T. Produced by Pseudobloys and edited by both Pseudobloys and Forrest Blois. Special thanks today to FLBS full-time middle school assistant principal Mrs. Madeline T. and principal Mrs. Jessica Smith for approving this project. And Dr. Mark Yates from LaGrange College in Georgia. Sound effects from Felix Dot Bloom, Digifish Music, and I Speak Waves. Thanks, as always, to our program supporters for their ideas and support. Hi, my name is Eric, and uh, yeah, we're, get, we're, we're closing the podcast now. But please tell us some ideas for some future, future podcasts. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye.